0: Welcome back.
1: Welcome back to The Magazine Show.
0: To another episode of The Magazine Show.
1: Number 11.
0: Now, part two of The Unmarried Wife. Brought to you by New Dromedary Mix. Just add egg and water, bake this fabulous fruity rich Easter cake, so luscious for parties, for gifts, perfect for servicemen, children at school, most miraculous mix yet, loaded with cherries, pineapple, dromedary dates, and other delicious fruits, you simply add egg and water, make a few at a time, they keep, and you're always ready with a treat. Free bake pan and lid in the package at no extra cost. Bake and mail in the pan you buy it in. Perfect cake guaranteed or money back. By the makers of Dromedary Gingerbread Mix and other fine foods. Yeah, everyone loves getting a fruit cake in the mail that's like four weeks old. I think people use them as doorstops, right? Have you ever eaten a fruit cake, jam?
1: Hell no. Fruit <laughs> cake is disgusting. It's it looks super awful, weird
0: and it weighs a ton. I think it's sort of like how lead and gold have the same atomic weight. I think right. fruitcake is pretty close to the same.
1: Looks nasty.
0: I remember when I was a kid, my parents occasionally would get one at Christmas time, and those things would just sit in the tin that they arrived in for, like, months.
1: Oh, man. I've seen fruitcake around, but I don't... If people send it to people
0: mm-hmm. well, for holidays.
1: I can't think of anyone... I don't know who's ever eaten it. <laughs> I think it's one of those things that sits goes, around for a long time yeah. and gets thrown out eventually sort of like embarrassingly like, like,
0: like let's watch and see what <laughs> it's half life is. You yeah. know, um, how long does it take to decompose? I think it's one of those things that probably started as a tradition in the pre refrigeration. Sure. You know, yeah. it's like, Oh, here's a way that you can actually have something sweet and fruity in the dead of winter because they put all sorts of spices in it, and it's preserved these
1: dried fruits. So you've had fruitcake? What does it taste like?
0: Just the way you'd imagine it, it tastes I don't.
1: Like, I mean, I imagine just really sweet, gooey crap.
0: It shouldn't be called cake. I mean, it would be better off just not bothering even putting the, the cake part in and just giving someone some freeze-dried fruit. It's sort of, um, I guess the cake part is a little bit too granular. Fruitcake tastes just the way
1: it looks. Previously on The Unmarried Wife I was lost in a tangle of terror and bliss Of fear and rebellion Of mad love and frightened guilt My own, my very own And now, part two of The Unmarried Wife Shep's words echoed through my troubled sleep that night That really, it was morning, four o'clock Before we reached Harriet's apartment I was thankful such hours were usual there, and no one questioned me. By morning, perhaps I'd be accustomed to this new world. Wow. It was a new world. Really racy. Nothing would ever be the same again. That thought kept returning as I tossed in bed, burning with shame and regret one moment, breathless with the memory of love the next. Shep did love me. After last night and all that had happened, all the things he said, he must. We could be married at once. Lud had eloped. We could mother would be so delighted. Thing a mother I went to page fifty six. Mother, who had only wanted the best for me, what would she say if she knew the truth now? And Dad, what about him? In that second, I had almost a flickering of truth. I saw dimly that mother wanted what looked best. Dad wanted what was really best. If only I'd held on to that thought. How different things might have been. But it was mother's influence that counted. Mother, who had nagged, made me feel such a failure, given me the driving necessity to marry a name. Presently, I slept and at noon was awakened by the maid with my breakfast tray. Behind her came Harriet in a tailored satin negligee and the soft aroma of a scented bath. How lovely you look this morning, Karen. Not at all as if you've been out half the night. Have fun. I flushed under that casual question. Rather, I said, busying myself with the coffee service. I told her about the Club Montevideo. Then I said, Shep is taking me to recital this afternoon and for cocktails afterward. Harriet stood at the bed and frowned thoughtfully at the smoke of the cigarette. I'm glad you're having fun, Karen. But don't take Shep too seriously, she said finally. My cup rattled. How do you mean? Just that. Shep is a playboy, and I mean he's really played the field. I don't suppose there's a willing girl from here to Palm Beach who hasn't spent a night with him. The flame from my cheeks spread down my throat, over my body. My hand was shaking too much to trust it. And as for money... Harriet went on. He's not too honest. He borrows and doesn't repay. That sort of thing. If you know such things about him, why do you ever invite him to your house? I asked seriously. Harriet laughed. Don't be so solemn. We don't hold a man's morals against him. Shep's charming, an excellent dancer, and he makes a good extra man. We just don't give him money or love. My hands on the edge of the tray were icy. Harriet chatted on. I had a note from Mother this morning. She's coming to town tomorrow for the remainder of the week. She'll have a party at the Rainbow Roof on Friday night for you. I managed to stammer, something about appreciating it, as the maid came in with the portable telephone. Shep was calling. Harriet rose, then bent to whisper, Ask him for Friday night. Mother loves having him. He's so attentive to her. (laughs) Woo, it's getting hot. (laughs) Shep and I didn't go to the recital that afternoon We walked in Central Park With Shep looking very distinguished in tweeds He's a little annoyed at my obvious nervousness Darling, how can you doubt But that we found something so special last night We made a world of our very own My only regret was that you couldn't stay with me Now you doubt our love? I don't doubt it, I protested unhappily I do love you, Shep, more than I can say. That's why I want everything specially right between us, so we may go on together. Why can't we marry? I'm free. You're free. He was silent, struck at the bushes with his cane as he passed. Finally, he said, The truth that no one else knows is I am not free. Six years ago, I got drunk in New Orleans and woke up married didn't tell me i faltered over the knife sharp pain in my heart oh. i have never told anyone he said i didn't dream i was going to fall in love with you like this you do love me you would marry me i would i will we'll find some way to manage it i have been waiting for money a large settlement from my grandfather's estate but it's terribly involved it may take years to get it If it's only money, I said eagerly, I have $15,000 in a trust fund.
0: That's so much back then. Oh, my God. Your own? He asked. Oh, this doesn't sound very well.
1: My grandfather left it to me, but I've never touched it, never needed it. Dad said it would give me protection when I was married. Shep's hand tightened on my arm. Let's go to my place and talk this over. I stopped abruptly in the path. Fright must have been clear in my eyes as I said no again and again. She has smiled indulgently. You're a most difficult bride. After all, you are a bride. And this is our honeymoon, the first month of love. We must wait, I managed huskily. Finally, I convinced him. But as we reached Fifth Avenue and Shep called for a cab to take us to the popular bar for cocktails, he whispered to me, We shan't wait long. <laughs> when i returned to the apartment that afternoon harriet's mother aunt julia had arrived There was also an airmail airmail letter for air me from my mother i put the letter in my purse and went to greet aunt julia who sat sipping sherry her crooked aged fingers heavy with diamonds her shrewd old eyes smiled at me from her brown crinkled lids you have improved karen You've lost that frosty old maid look you've had two years ago. Oh,
0: it's like her aunt is Yoda.
1: Your mother never did have any sense. She's making a fool of you. Mother, Harriet protested. Aunt Julia sniffed. If Karen doesn't know it now, it's time she did. Her mother always was flighty. How she she ever had the luck to get a fine man like Fred Jordan... I don't know. She probably thinks until this day she did him a favor. I was thinking, with bitter amusement, of Aunt Julia's words when, in my own room, I opened Mother's letter. At the top of the note paper, a slim newspaper clipping was pasted. It was from a nationally syndicated gossip column. Uh oh. The velvet-eyed gal seeing places with Shep Newton these days is Karen. Oh my. Karen Jordan of Lennoxville, Ohio. Her papa is a head man in the dish trade. Ooh, the dish trade. Then followed mother's excited scrawl Darling, the enclosed clipping is from Winston's column. You can imagine how thrilled we all were. Eve doesn't know this man, but says the Newtons are a very old family. I always said you weren't fully appreciated in this town. Eve is having difficulty getting used to it, even with Ludd so devoted. Having a very good time, darling. Let me know if you need any money. I'm writing Harry to give you carte blanche with their charges. You must need clothes. Love, mother. Getting saucy. Mother
0: is rather shallow.
1: I must need clothes. How empty that sounded to me when I needed advice. I didn't know where to turn or what to do. Now, Mother would have all Lexingtonville waiting for the big news. But how could I go back? How could I ever marry anyone? My thoughts were tearing in circles. I must marry Shep. I loved him. I had to love him. It was my only defense. Two nights later, when Aunt Julia was giving her party at the Rainbow Roof, I seemed no nearer an answer. Since Shep and I had been the play, Aunt Julia and the others were saying we were going to another theater and were to meet them afterwards. When I was dressed, I went into Aunt Julia's room. The old lady was sitting at the dressing table, tuttering her heavy-lined face. She grinned at me. Doesn't help much, does it? She said, putting down the puff. But I never stopped trying. Hand me my purse, dear. The big one on the chair. (laughs) From it, she extracted a flat package of new bills, mostly tens and twenties, fastened them with a gold money clip, and put them in her evening bag. I watched her vain old hands, fascinated, as she transferred articles from one bag to the other. I'm glad you're bringing Shep Newton. He's always so attentive, makes me feel young. Don't be late joining us. I never stay out after three. On the way to the theater, Shep was quiet. He seemed worried. When he did rouse himself, it was to coax me to come home with him after the party. I knew the arguments by heart. I clung to my refusal, but his arguments increased my own unhappy confusion. I did love him. I was afraid to face life without him. And yet, this was wrong. We both were nervous when the cab drew up at the restaurant. Shep reached for his wallet, then shrugged. i have forgotten my wallet. I had some change. I didn't miss it before. Well, drive to my place. No, no, I said and snatched a $5 bill from my purse. I promised Aunt Julie we'd come directly from the theater. As we paid the driver, Shep's amber eyes teased me, caressed me with a look that left me trembling. As we walked to the elevator, his hand beneath my fur cape stroked my arm, and he whispered, Don't deny you're aching to be kissed. I see an unfinished kiss on your lips.
0: We'll be back to The Unmarried Wife after a word from our sponsor.
1: You've been listening to The Unmarried Wife, sponsored by Clorox. When it's Clorox clean, it's hygienically clean. The microscope reveals that many so-called clean surface is infested with invisible germ dangers. Ultra-fine Clorox has intensified disinfecting efficiency in laundry and routine household cleansing. Clorox also gently bleaches white cottons and linens, snowy whites, removes numerous stains, and Clorox is free from caustic and other harsh substances, which are damaging to fabrics. Make Clorox Cleansing a regular health habit in your home. Simply follow directions on the label. America's favorite bleach and household disinfectant, Ultra-Refined Clorox. Bleaches, deodorizes, disinfects, removes numerous stains, even scorch, mildew, Clorox, make it white. Confidentially, by True Confessions It is often said that the most valuable advice on marriage is given by old maids and bachelors just as the most hard-bitten counsel on how to raise children come from those who are childless. However, I think Judge Joseph Sabbath of Chicago, who on the eve of his 71st birthday confesses to having spent 31 years listening to 52,679 divorce cases, can not be considered an authority on marriage and the causes of divorce. I'm sorry, he's not an authority on marriage. He's an authority on, on, divorce, on divorce proceedings in a courtroom. In a courtroom, a courtroom yeah. So, but he said
0: just like how, you know, people who don't have children have the most, like, hardcore advice.
1: Uh, uh, okay. He's putting him in that category. Uh, that's fine. Judge Joseph Sabbath of Chicago can be considered an authority on marriage and the causes of divorce. Judge Sabbath, he was himself married at the age of 17, counsels against short courtships and May and December meetings. Because Judge Sabbath has presided over so many marriage breakups, I think his advice on how to stay married is worth heeding. He urges young couples not to live with in-laws, not to let finances just work out, but advises a careful budgeting of finances. He advises young brides to learn how to cook and how to avoid tin can meals. And not to forget that marriage is a sacred pact cemented firmly when the couple has children. These seem simple, common sense rules easily abided by, don't they? Then why, one wonders, are there so many divorces? Are there really a lot of divorces in 1941? Well, compared to none, I suppose. Here is a problem that all the sages and the experts cannot seem to solve. Perhaps when men are wise enough to work out the problem of keeping out of war, the problem of a more equitable distribution of wealth, and the problem of making democracy workable for the world, they will then be able to iron out the wrinkles in marriage. <laughs> Alas, none of these things have gotten better. They only get worse. <laughs> hmm. If it was only so easy. And now, welcome back. At the restaurant, the others had arrived. As Aunt Julia said, Shep was most attentive to her. He kissed her hand, complimented her, retrieved her bag, which she dropped often from her sloping lap, suggested a special dish for a late supper. As we danced, and I absorbed the dazzling beauty of the setting and watched Shep nod and chat to celebrities and beautifully groomed men and women, my own confusion only increased. Shep was known... "'accepted and understood here as Aunt Julia understood him. "'But how would it be in Luxonville? "'How would it be with Mother? "'She had always had money, "'but the distance from Lenoxville to the Rainbow Roof "'was more than ordinary miles. "'Mother said that Eve was unhappy in Lenoxville. "'How, then, could I hope to fit Shep in such a background? "'Shep startled me out of my preoccupation.' There seems to be something wrong at our table, he said, and led me off the floor, threading our way through dancers. I tried to recall afterward how he looked as he said that, but I could remember nothing except his gloom of the early evening was gone. When we reached the table, Harriet and Aunt Julia both talked at once. It seemed Aunt Julia's purse had fallen again. When a waiter picked it up, the purse was open and the money clip and money were gone. I had two hundred and fifty dollars in it, she said. You saw me put it in there, Karen. Yes, I did, but I can't be far. Is Madame sure it was in her purse when she reached here? The waiter asked. You may have dropped it in the cab. There was much talk and discussion in search with no success. Finally, George Bryce said we could consider it his party and we all set about cheering Aunt Julia, to whom the loss of $250 was no serious matter. Then suddenly, his eyes shining a light, Shep caught my hand and leaned across the table to George. Something in his very emotion startled me, but before I could speak, he said, This really should be my party, Karen, and I were married last Monday. There was a great hollow feeling in my head. I tried to speak, but my throat was dusty dry. Aunt Julia laughed noisily, and Harriet said, "'Good heavens!' George and Shep shook hands. I wanted to stop them, to cry out. It wasn't true, but Shep was talking fast and convincingly. "'We agreed to keep this a secret. Karen didn't know I was going to tell you tonight, but I could see it wasn't fair to her.' The party suddenly turned madly gay, with Harriet shooting me desperate looks that were apologies for her talk that morning." Aunt Julia was chuckling over Mother's reaction, and George ordered more champagne. The orchestra was playing Shep Rose. Our dance, my sweet, he said. How could you do this, I gasped when we were on the floor. They won't check, he said, and you didn't deny it. I told you I'd find a way to have you soon. Ooh, I was frightened and yet happy. The very boldness of it thrilled me. What woman wouldn't thrill such mastery? Now everyone would know we'd go home to Lennoxville and we could be married secretly. When Shep's divorce was final, it was dangerous, but we were together. I wouldn't have to face Lennoxville and mother alone. The madness, the enormity of what I was doing. I, I just wouldn't think of it. At last, it was three o'clock and Aunt Julia said she had to leave. George called for the check. He looked at it ruefully and turned to Shep. I'm going to have to call on you. I haven't enough cash. Shep handed him two new $20 bills. I looked from that money in George's hand to Shep, caught that flickering guarded look in his eyes. Your money? You had none in the cab. Shep smiled. That, darling, was merely to a try to get you to come home with me. Now I have a better way. You are coming. Wow. Oh, my God. This guy's an interesting fellow, a bastard. <sighs> um, it sounded so reasonable. Why should I doubt him? I hated myself for disloyalty, yet the whole incident added to my frightened uncertainty. The whole party moved out toward the elevators, and Harriet said, Wait for George. He came, looking flushed and uncomfortable. In his hand was Aunt Julia's money clip, Empty. "'It was found on the floor of the men's room,' he said. "'Our house is at the next corner!' "'I tried to smile as I said it, but the corners of my mouth were taut. "'It was more, too, than the raw February chill that left me shivering "'as Shep swung the wheel and slid the big car to a stop. "'Nice place your father has,' he said appreciatively. "'Looking over the big house set back on the lawn,' Brown now in winter frost, but when I didn't speak, Shep took my hand. Glad to be here. Yes, but I'm so frightened. They'll know, they must guess. His amber eyes clouded. Not unless you spoil the show. I assure you, darling, you have everything to gain by keeping your head now. At that moment, Mother came hurrying down the walk to meet us. She looked pretty in a bright wool dress. Her gray hair smartly set. Her figure was good and she moved with the energy of a young girl. But all I can think of were Aunt Julia's words. Your mother was a fool. She was bubbly with pleasure as she swept us into the house to see Dad, Eve, and Lud. Suddenly, the big living room looked beautiful to me in a way it never had before. It was as if I saw the comfort and security in the walls and carpets and comfortable chairs, which before I had taken for granted. I was seeing everything with new eyes, like a person seeing for the first time at 25. With this new sight, I looked at my sister-in-law. I saw more than just her loveliness— with her sleek blonde hair and a long page boy bob, the set of her eyebrows, the tint of her makeup, the very the very way she wore a sweater marked her as part of the same smart crowd that gathered in the best bars and clubs, whose grandparents were the Dowagers at the symphony concert. Then I caught quick light in her blue eyes, the answering look in Shep's smile, They recognized each other as kindred spirits as easily as two Americans would be drawn together in China or the South Seas. (laughs) Mother said tea was ready, and I suggested that Shep would prefer a cocktail or scotch. Very quickly, Eve said she'd like a cocktail too. Abruptly, Lud took her up on it. You don't usually drink, Eve. She smiled at him, so solemn and yet so nice, like Dad. I don't usually get the chance, Eve said. But, Lud, this is an occasion. Looking at her, Lud melted, plain as butter on a hot plate. Her love was clear in his eyes. That Saturday afternoon and evening, the phone rang constantly. There was a stream of callers, too, including reporters and photographers from the paper. Shep was at his best, and I could see everyone was charmed except Dad and Lud. They were bewildered, but the terrible knowledge that I couldn't speak the truth and the horrible fear that someone else would haunted me. Every day, the web closed more tightly, bound with kindness. Everyone adored Shep. We were invited out constantly. Mother was beside herself with joy. Here, at last, was what she had wanted, top social ranking for her children. Eve seemed as pleased as mother, and included us in every plan she and Lud made. Coaxed us to buy a house out near theirs, near the country club. She phoned me one evening about a particularly good buy. When it happened that I was alone in the living with Dad, after I placed after I replaced the phone, he said, "What are you and Shep going to do, hon?" We have no definite plans. Shep has always lived on income. He talks about making some business connections soon, but will probably return to New York. At that moment, Mother came in. New York? You can't do that. You must stay here. Fred, you can give Shep a job. He can sell, I suppose, Dad admitted. I'll talk it over with him and Lud. After all, Lud is a partner. You're the boss, mother insisted, and Karen is as much your daughter as Lud is your son. Dad laid his hands affectionately on my shoulder. I wasn't leaving her out, he said with a kindness that wrung my heart. Shep, surprisingly, was most agreeable to the selling idea. In fact, he was agreeable to everything in the first month in a way that seemed almost like a release or a man grateful for a narrow escape. Two weeks later, Shep was engaged by Jordan Pottery Company at a salary and commission. On the 1st of March, he left for his first trip, a three-week loop around Chicago, Minneapolis, and St. Louis. I was thankful when he was gone, and yet I clung to every shred of hope, such as his taking this job. Didn't that prove he wanted to make a go of our marriage? And wouldn't I be happy once this awful knowledge of guilt was removed? I was afraid even to look at the mail. The morning I saw letters from a New Orleans lawyer, I almost fainted. There were letters from New York lawyers, too. I forwarded them all to him, afraid to ask what they contained. As the days crawled by, I thought I would lose my mind entirely if one more girl told me how lucky I was or Mother Eve said how much they missed Shep. However, I saw less of Eve after Shep left. She no longer called every day. And she and Lud came only once a week to dinner. That week they came on Sunday. It was a cold, blustery March day. Dad and I were sitting before the fire, content with the lazy comfort of a stormy day, when Lud and Eve arrived. As Eve flung off her mink coat, she shivered. This place looks more cheerful. I couldn't stand our house another minute. Lud took her coat. I don't mind it. I always like the rainy Sunday. It feels good when you don't have to go out. You're old before your time, Eve said, and trolled the radio dials hunting for a dance band. Dad looked up from his book. I could see he felt the tensions between them, saw the bewilderment of Lud's eyes. He said, Wait until you have a couple of children, Eve. They'll cheer up the house. Two seem like a dozen on a rainy day. Perhaps there won't be any. She said, and I could see Lud wince. Then, as she picked up a good South American orchestra, her hips swayed in time. You should learn a rumba, Lud. Your dancing is so dated. Lud said, I want a drink, and went out quickly of the room. Bring one for me, Eve called, and for a moment the spell was broken. But I knew all the fear and hurt was still there for Lud. "'the terrible dread of losing Eve. "'He was the kind who loved once and for always. "'It was later that week when I stopped at the factory for Dad. "'It was nearly six. "'The machines were still, the big offices practically empty. "'I went through the narrow hall "'that divided two rows of small private offices "'to Dad's office at the end. "'Suddenly a door opened and I collided with Mark Sampson. "'I didn't know I could be so glad to see anyone.' Feel such a lift of sheer pleasure at the touch of a hand, the sound of a voice. While we said the usual things, I was thinking how little he changed, only to realize with a start I had had a date with him only three months before. It seemed centuries.
0: Wait, who is this again? Is this Fred? Mark
1: Sampson. Mark- I think it was, oh, was at the Mark- beginning. Mark was
0: sort of the, the run-of-the-mill kind of guy. That he was like the old slipper.
1: He's the sucker back in Ohio. As
0: comfortable as an old shoe, she said been listening to the unmarried wife we hope you enjoyed listening to the unmarried
1: wife stay tuned for the thrilling conclusion of the unmarried wife next week only on the magazine show
0: this is the queen be sure you tune in next week to hear part three of The Unmarried Wife. I am personally riveted by this story. And now I must return to my corgis. Thanks for listening.